Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. All right, welcome in. It's episode six of our post-pod series of the captain, Jacko, John Jastrzemski. We're here on the New York, New York feed. And, you know, Jacko, I knew after sitting through episode five and having to sit through 20 minutes of the 2004 ALCS, uh, by default, we were going to like this episode a heck of a lot more. But I really enjoyed this episode. I did. I felt like I learned a lot. I felt like I got a good amount of insight into the Jeter camp and, you know, how he feels. And listen, you combine that with not having to watch 2004 highlights, I'm going to be in a much better mood. There was nowhere to go but up. And I'm with you. Yeah, I like this episode a lot. And But, you know, the, the devastation of 2004... And there was nowhere to go but up. It had to be. It had to be better, and it was. We went from the lows of 2004 to the highs of 2009. Covered Jeter's 3,000 hit, 3,000th hit. Yeah, this was a good one. This covered a lot of lot of areas, and it was a good transition to what I assume is where we're headed into in the final episode with his end of his career and his post, you know, post Yankees life. So it's good. I love how they started this episode. The final game 
at the old Yankee Stadium where yep. it's the first year since 1993 where the Yankees are not playing in the postseason. And I, I just remember, Jacko, that whole year, a lot of things went against the Yankees. I remember Posada missed time. Jeter got beat up. Uh, Pettit was not particularly good. Uh, it, it felt like a lot of things went against the Yankees. You had a first-year manager in Joe Girardi who was very stern, and you could tell he was kind of getting his feet wet in replacing the iconic Joe Torre. And, and as a whole, Jacko, I remember going to games that year, and it just felt weird. It felt like, you know, in some ways you were going to a funeral because you knew they were tearing down that old stadium. Jeter gives that unbelievable speech. The game was perfect. He rises to the occasion. I love that he didn't script anything, and he just basically went, you know, off the tip of his tongue. He's got yep. that, that unbelievable presence that he brings to the table, and it ushered in, like, this new era and this new feeling of New York Yankee baseball. But I, I was sad, man, when they tore that stadium down. I'm still sad, quite frankly, that that stadium's not there. I get it. It was old. The concourses stunk. The, the bleachers smell like piss. Like, I, I get all that, but I miss the old stadium. It was better. <laughs> yeah, it had all the magic and it had all the history. I mean, it's not the original stadium, but it was, you know, it's on the site of the original stadium and it, it was, you know, reconfigured in the 70s. But, you know, I, I like the new stadium for its ambiance for like, you know, the grand concourse and the, you know, all the air, the air and the light and everything. And it's, you know, not a bad viewpoint and everything because, but the old Yankee Stadium, I mean, that's the first one I ever went to when I was a kid. I went in 1978. And my parents took me to a Mariners game. And it's so true what they said in the beginning. Like, it, it's the truest thing, and it sounds so hokey. But when you drive down to Yankee Stadium and you're in, in the Bronx and you're in the city and the concrete jungle and all that, and when you come up that ramp and you look out on the field, it was the greenest grass I ever saw in my life and the bluest walls of the outfield stadium. And it's so true. And Growing up in the 70s as a kid where we didn't have HGTV, HDTV like we do now where it's crystal clear and you might as well be at home. It was so different to see the stadium in real life color. It really was like a mesmerizing thing for me. So that's the one I had my memories of. And yeah, it was sad to see it go. And of course, Jeter rises to the occasion. He's, he's perfect as he's perfect in just about everything he's done in his life and touched in his life. So yeah, and to do it unscripted and to speak from the heart and, you know, salute the fans the way they all raise their caps it was great. It was great. You know, it is super cool thinking about that old stadium. Your first game was there. My first game was there. And it's not the same in the new stadium because of, for many reasons, but the way they set up the new stadium, and it's good, actually, now from that standpoint, right. like you're walking around, you could see what the hell is going on. In the right. old place, there were only these little tunnels. And you're so right yep. about that, Jacko. The first time you see this majestic field in the middle of the South Bronx, like you were mesmerized. I was mesmerized. I know a lot of kids across the tri-state area who grew up as Yankee fans. That's like something you're never going to forget. And yeah, like you see, and we've kind of lived it now, obviously over the last, you know, couple of weeks going through these old games and seeing the old footage and whatnot, the, 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 the clips of like Monument Park or, that clip of Jeter when he's walking from center field. Man, dude, that old stadium just gives me the chills, dude. It does. It does. It's magical. It was magical. And, you know, they, they haven't had, you know, 2009 aside, they haven't been able to bring the same magic over to the new place. And it's it's probably too lifeless and it's probably too, certainly too corporate, you know, in, in terms of like the seats and the prices and everything else. So, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll bring back some of the magic or the magic will naturally occur or come over. But 
it seems antiseptic compared to the, you know, as much as I like the views and a lot of, you know, the, the brightness and what have you, it doesn't have the magic of the, the magic and the New York grittiness of the old one, you know, that's for sure. It has not felt the same, but 2008 offseason, they document this very well. The Yankees were desperate. They had missed the postseason. They had the aging core four. And going into 2009, there were a lot of questions about Derek Jeter and diminished range. Jorge Posada, could he still handle the catcher's position? How many yep. more good years does Mariano have left? Andy Pettit was coming off a down year. And the Yankees basically said, hey, we, we got to go. New stadium. We're charging a ton of money for tickets. We got to go big fish hunting. And it started with CC Sabathia. And, you know, the amazing thing about CC Jacko, yes, he was a great pitcher, won a Cy Young with the Cleveland Indians, carried the Brewers in 08 all the way to the postseason, pitched every day on three days rest, for goodness sakes. Yep. But this idea of CC as a leader and the sort of clubhouse presence he provided, it's obvious CC, Swisher, uh, even though he's Mr. Buttoned Up in corporate, Teixeira, Burnett, like all of the guys they brought in that offseason all added their like unique twist to a team where it did feel like, hey, you were either one of the guys that won championships or you were an outsider. Like Sheffield was talking about that. He was like, man, I felt like an outsider on that team because I didn't win. And you know what? The Yankees almost needed that new influx of dudes who were really good, who were on the up and up, who were basically going to say, you know what? We're doing things our way. You got to get with the program. We got to unite as a team. It made a difference. It definitely did. And I didn't realize to the degree, and they talked about it in the documentary, and I thought it was interesting, and you bring up Sheffield, and you're right. He, he was the one that said it the most. But that there was a – they could feel a rift or a breach, as Michael Kay, I think, said, that, you know, between the guys who had been there in the dynasty and won and the new guys who came in and, frankly, didn't win – didn't win World Series, that there was a tangible breach there. And one of the things I definitely remember about the 2009 Yankees and people that follow my Twitter feed will know I'm not the biggest Nick Swisher fan in the world, but he and Burnett with the pie in the face after walk-offs, you know, the Yankees were perceived as being like too stiff and too corporate. And, and they under never Tory. had fun. And they never, and they had, never fun. had fun. And Tory was like, you know, this is, and it was important. Tory was like, this is the Yankee way. And we're going to be dignified and we're going to do things like the Yankees and the pinstripes and everything that goes with that. But they weren't having fun. And it was like, you, you could see it on the field that they were too stiff and there was no joy to the game. And I think that took a toll. So when these guys came in and Swisher being Swisher and the pie in the face thing, and they, it gave them some life. I mean, they talk about little things like, I think it's Cashman says, you know, they brought in CC because he was known not just obviously for his ability, but he would go out to dinner with guys on the team and he would organize team outings. And that was like a big thing and clubhouse camaraderie and, and Jeter was all about that and like totally bought into that. And that that clearly made a difference. It definitely changed things from, you know, the dynasty had its time, but it was kind of running its course and they they injected like a new lifeblood into the team. I think it's pretty clear. 1,000%. And those pies were everywhere that 09 season because the Yankees yep. were the king of the walk-off. And you basically knew, all right, anytime they had a walk-off, A.J. Burnett was going to be out there. It didn't matter if your name was Matsui or Alex Rodriguez or Johnny Damon or you name me the Yankee. Jeter never had it because he didn't have a walk-off that year. That was a... I remember that was a big question that people were talking about. Like, oh, how is Derek Jeter going to handle the idea if he gets pie in the face? And to be honest with you, Jacko, the way that year went 
I think he would have went with the flow. I kind of, I think he would have not at that point, you know? Right. Absolutely. He's a team guy. He, he's not going to be like, don't, how dare you? He would have, he would have been down for that. He would have, he would have enjoyed it, I think. But yeah, it is weird out of all the shots they had. There's a couple of Matsui and, uh, Teixeira and other guys, but yeah, there was none, none of Jeter getting the pie in the face. So I guess you're right. Yeah. I I didn't realize it, but I guess he didn't have any walk-offs, which is crazy to think about. But he had a phenomenal 2009 season. But when you think about 2009, it really does come full circle. Start and finish with Alex Rodriguez because the Yankees have this big offseason. CeCe, Burnett, which wasn't really a surprise. They surprised a lot of people signing to share it because a lot of people thought he was going to end up with the Red Sox. The Yankees Mm -hmm. swoop in at the 11th hour. They bring in to share it to the team. And you're like, all right. The Yankees are all in. They are full throttle. They are cooking. And away we go. And a week before spring training, Alex Rodriguez gets busted for PEDs. And at the time, you got to remember, you know, Jack, it's funny because now you look at A-Ron, you're like, yeah, obvious, star, steroid cheat. But at that time, people were looking at him as the queen guy that was going to break Babe Ruth's record, the queen guy that was going to break Barry Bonds' record. The Yankees brought him back after that whole opt-out fiasco because they thought, yep. okay, he's going to be worth a zillion dollars to the franchise when he's going on this quest, ba 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 ba. Well, yep. that's all out the window. And the Jeter quote that is absolutely amazing in this, he's basically like, another fucking distraction. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. And you could you could tell, you know, it's it's funny the way they this documentary where they – they go from somebody making one statement to immediately Jeter disputing it or saying the exact opposite. It's so funny. You can tell his fingerprints are all over this thing because they, they go to A-Rod's statement of, I love how much my, you know, it's so great to me that my teammates are here supporting me. And they immediately go to Jeter who goes, I didn't want to be there. <laughs> you know? He was like, I hated he goes, this shit. I don't, I don't think want he to wanted to it. be there either. Right. And he's like, he didn't want to be there either. But like the notion of, oh, my teammates have my back. They were forced to be there. And Jeter was worried it was a bigger, it was a distraction. And it was like, you know, he's like, I'm not going to analyze, overanalyze it like you do. I was just there listening, you know, ask him about it. I don't, you know, he didn't want to t- talk about it. And anything that took the focus off the goal of winning a championship or winning games, Jeter didn't want any part of. And he certainly, you know, we know he doesn't have any love for A-Rod. So now it's not just a distraction that distracts from winning and possibly winning a championship, but it's brought on by A-Rod, who he didn't want on the team in the first place. So I'm sure behind closed doors with his friends and his family, he was probably like, he was furious. He had to be because he was like, this is going to fuck everything up. But A-Rod misses time, comes back, hits a home run his first at bat, And something was different in Alex Rodriguez. I wish they actually would have spent a little bit more time on this, quite frankly, in a documentary. Like, I know it's a Jeter doc. I get it. I understand that. But they don't win that 2009 World Series without A-Rod. So I was was curious if they were going to get into maybe some of the guys giving A-Rod pep talks or maybe what was the difference in A-Rod from the guy who always failed in the postseason to a guy that shined. And you know, Jacko, I didn't believe that the guy could do it in October until you actually got to October. And they showed it in that Minnesota series. He hit a game-tying hit, then they're down, I think, either run or two in the ninth inning against Nathan. And he goes to right center field, hits yep. a home run. And, like, from that point forward, you knew, okay, this guy is going to deliver. This guy is going to be a monster for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's weird. I never thought of it before, but, you know, I, I wonder if, like, the steroid thing, it kind of humbled him or he got out of his own head or he's like, I have nothing left to lose, so I'm just going to be myself or whatever relaxed him 
in some weird way. Like, you know, he's like, my legacy is gone or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't psychoanalyze him, but something clearly happened because, you know, the rap on him before that was always that he never came through in the clutch. He never came through in the postseason. He couldn't win the big one. He'd never won a championship. He put up bigger numbers than Jeter, but Jeter always was the winner. And that postseason, Jeter says in the documentary, they don't win it without A-Rod, that he was huge for them. He had big hit after big hit, big home runs. Absolutely. He finally, whatever it was, he came through for once and got and got the ring, you know, and he says, well, we had to come together for him to get his fifth and me to get my first. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, it, it worked, certainly, because they, they helped each other out and they got to a championship. So I guess that's what matters. They had to take care of a lot of demons. Alex Rodriguez did. That Yankee group hadn't won much in the postseason over right. 04, 05, 06, 07, not getting there in 08. They get through Minnesota. And I was super nervous about that Angels series because the Angels were always oh. a thorn in their side. They yep. beat them in 2002. They yep. beat them again in 2005. And I yep. almost felt like the Yankees had to win the first two games of that series. They did. And then you knew you had CC Sabathia going a couple more times. And that core four that a lot of people doubted, Jack. A lot of people said, oh, they don't have much left in the tank. Jeter was great. Posada did his thing. Yep. Pettit. Won game six and won every clinching game of the postseason. And Mariano was Mariano. So, yeah, it was uh, I, it, it was like a, a farewell tour in many ways of, like, the best of the best going out and doing their thing. It exercised a lot of the demons because ever since 2004, it was like they had the choke label. They were chokers. They hadn't been back to the World Series, you know, since they since they well they didn't go in 2004 because they lost they'd gone in 2003 and then they were chokers they couldn't pa get past the angels a couple different times so they exercised the angels demons so to speak to mix metaphors and they exercised the demon of of being chokers and not making it back to the big show so they did a couple things so that was huge however it was accomplished by bringing in new blood new guys they got back to the mountaintop and and did what they were supposed to do so yeah they they definitely it was good the way they did it because to slay the Angels finally, who were a thorn in their side, and I, I couldn't stand the Angels because they had had so much success against the Yankees, you know, post two thousand and one, and then to you know get, they had a three one lead, they held, you know, they didn't choke it away, they go to the World Series and they win. That was it was huge, and Matsui underrated Yankee is how, how good he oh, was. Oh, I loved Matsui, and you know Matsui had so many big hits, and Matsui unfortunately didn't get an opportunity to play on the dynasty Yankees. Jack, right. he's a guy that easily would have fit in on the Dynasty Yankees. And in that World 100%. Series, you know, I didn't know. I, I totally blanked on that Jimmy Rollins clip when he went yeah. on. and I didn't, I didn't know about that, that he basically proclaimed that it was going to be a, a a six or a five-game series. And right. you know, the Phillies were – I, I remember being at Syracuse, and I had a lot of Philly fans in my life because, you know, Syracuse kind of melting pot college, northeast sure. all over the place. They were very, very cocky going into that World Series of Philly fan. And they were the Very defending cocky. champs and they went back again, you know, and they had they had good pitching. They had good Rollins was a good player. And, you know, that it's funny, Jeter's quote where they watched it on the Tonight Show or heard, or got wind of it after the Tonight Show or whatever. And Jeter goes, Stay humble, Jimmy. You know, that was funny. Like and he's like, I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have said Jeter that. Never, yes. Jeter never would come out. And I'm sure Jeter's quietly confident, obviously, that his team is gonna win, but he's not gonna come out and say, I think we'll be in five so we can win at home. Maybe we'll stretch it to six, like we're toying with you. Like he just wouldn't give the other team fodder like that for the bulletin board. And, you know, Jimmy was feeling himself and he, and he did it. And, you know, as usual, the Yankees, uh, they put it up in the old locker room and used it to their advantage. Yeah, and they lost game one. That was Cliff Lee. It was 
Remember yeah. nonchalant on that pop-up? And I was nervous. Pedro yeah. on the mound. It was older Pedro. Right. Going into game two. Yankees, they came back. They won that game. Teixeira hit a big home run. Matsui hit a big home run. And then when they won game three, I remember we were, we were all my roommates, Jacko, the non-Yankee fans are like, come on, man, it's Halloween. We got to go out. I'm like, motherfuckers, I ain't going anywhere <laughs> till this World Series game ends. Like, uh, what don't you understand? Like, the Yankees hadn't been in a World Series in six years. So I'm sitting there in a stupid Teletubbies costume watching uh, Double Fist and watching the World Series. Good times, man. Good times. <laughs> That's fun. Well, I watched game one at a book signing. Simmons was signing his book, The Book of wow, Basketball. Wow, I'm sure he was thrilled that the Yankees oh, were yeah. in the World and, Series during that And he process. called, I was up there sitting there while he signed books. I, I, people asked me to sign his book too. Somewhere out there on eBay. Nice. You can get a Bill Simmons Jacko signed book of basketball. It's priceless though. I mean, it's, you might as well get it like a rookie Mickey Mantle. Choose which you want to spend your money on. I was going to say, I yeah. would love a copy. You can find so, me a copy. I'd put it up in the den. <laughs> so I was filled with, you know, Red Sox fans in New York and they were all heckling me because the game was on a big screen there. So, yeah, that was a that was a rough game one. And I'm like, here we go again. So that was I was happy to go home in the com comforts of my own living room and watch uh, Jay-Z's performance of uh, Empire State of Mind or whatever it's called and uh, and see game two and then go from there. That was good. I love the Jimmy Rollins quote where he's basically like, yeah. I never want to hear that song ever again. I'm like, oh, that's, that's delightful. Right. That's the one. It's absolutely. That's yeah, good. Jimmy. Jimmy was stuck, stuck by it, though. I got to give Jimmy some credit because they, they were like, did you care that it went into, you know, that that quote was, you know, in the Yankees locker room? And he's like, I didn't give a fuck. You know, at least Jimmy no, stood by it. Good for him. It. Listen, they were the champs. Even Jeter right. said it. It's like, hey, they're the champs. Like, you should be confident. You right. should have you that should be, You're going to win and you should have a little swagger. No question about it. It just it didn't work. But you should have it regardless. The Yankees were a better team, bottom line, point blank. Right. And you look back on that 2009 title for all four of those guys and for the fan base, Jacko, I can't imagine what this world would be like. And I know I sound like a spoiled, rotten, entitled Yankee fan, but if they don't win Join that 2009 title, I mean, you're looking basically at 20 plus years without a championship. Easy. I know. I know. I thought I didn't think we'd be still here in 2022, but here we are. I mean, it's funny, the documentary, they talk about what a terrible drought it was because they hadn't been to a World Series in six years. Well, we're going on year 14 here, so uh, we've had a long, 13. We've had a longer drought than uh, than that now. So uh, we didn't realize how good we had it then and how spoiled we were, even in the quote-unquote bad times, you know, of 2003 and 2004. So now it's like, geez, if we could just get to an ALCS, I'd be happy at, at this point. You know, <laughs> like it's been five, but it's been a couple of years since we've been in an ALCS. So get me to a World Series, please. So yeah, it was... We didn't realize how lucky we had it, how good we had it. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Oh, hold up. Smell test. Go ahead. Sniff those pits. Now your bits. Feet. Toes, come on. Ugh. Could be fresher, right? It's all good. 
Old Spice Total Body Deodorant Spray is gentle enough to use all over your body, giving you 24-7 lasting freshness with daily use, from pits to toes and down below. So every smell test gets a... <sighs> Shop for Old Spice Total Body Deodorant. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 2010, sad year for the Yankees. They lose Bob Shepard. They lose the boss, George Steinbrenner, and it was obvious in like 07, 08, 09, George was not doing well because he was right. not making many public appearances. It's not like the missives were coming out like they used to. Like George nope. was very much a secondary player at that point. And Derek Jeter does not have a great season. He was unbelievable in 09. You know, he has the hit record at Yankee Stadium. He's, you know, basically the top offensive shortstop in the sport. But 2010, he started looking like a guy who was in his mid to late 30s. They lose to Texas in the American yep. League Championship Series. And then Jacko, Derek Jeter's a free agent. And let's just say it was not a fun, pleasant, and easy process for the Yankees and Derek Jeter. And in all seriousness, Jacko, you can make the argument, oh, it's Jeter, make it easy, make it uh, simple, make it painless. Easier said than done when you're talking about a guy who's getting up there and 37, 38 years old. You can't, you know, in sports, you cannot reward a guy and just, I know you maybe could do it a little bit more in a non-cap sport as opposed to a cap sport, but like, you know, these lifetime achievement contracts, you got to be careful with those, dude. Well, the great Branch Rickey, the guy that brought Jackie Robinson into the Brooklyn Dodgers and was a legendary general manager, he, I think it was him that had a famous quote and he said, it's better to get rid of a guy a year too soon than a year too late. Because if you're stuck with a guy who can't play anymore and he's a fan favorite and you can't do anything with him, it really murders the team and it ruins your chances. So I understand that. But I think for certain guys, you got to make exceptions. And for Derek Jeter, who was the captain of the Yankees, at a certain point, it's just money. You know, if you don't know if he's if he's inept and you have to bench him, that's one thing down the line. And that wouldn't be easy either. But. You know, they gave Mariano a lot of money late in his career, and he deserved it because it was the body of work and everything he had done. And I and it's easy for me to say it's not my money, right? But I think Hal and Cashman have a little bit of, they're a little soulless when it comes to the sport. Cashman, Cashman sounds like a middle manager at like a Fortune 500 company sometimes. There was an earlier episode, and he talked about to Jeter when, about A-Rod, and he asked him to do a self-test. I mean, oh, come on. What are, what are we doing with this corporate speak? I hate that. So if you're Hal and Hal doesn't have the love for baseball or the desire to win that his father had, I, I personally don't think you, you could reach into the checkbook and give Jeter a lifetime, you know, like a lifetime. Well, here's reward. my bigger problem, Jacko. How do you let that information get public? And well, that's Jeter the part. expressed yeah. that and how I don't know if he was playing dumb. I don't know if he's being a thousand percent accurate. I, I would lean towards the side of he wanted it out there and that the Yankees wanted it out there. Um, yep. because they wanted to make Jeter look bad. That's information that should have never got public. Like, guess what? Go behind the scenes, take care of what you need to take care of and get it done where both sides are happy, you know? And, and they could have done that. 
And Jeter said the biggest, in this documentary, he says the biggest thing for him was he wanted it kept private. And obviously, it's pretty clear. Both he and his agent are in here, and they look square in the camera. And they said, they said, they, they would have said that they, well, they both said they didn't want it leaked, right? So they didn't leak it. And then you go to Cashman. And you know what Cashman never says in this documentary? Well, we didn't leak it. It didn't come from our side. Never says anything along that. He's like, you know, the Yankees wasn't great for the Yankees to have it come out either. Never says we didn't do it, though. So there's only two sides in the negotiation. You know, it wasn't Jeter and his agent. It came from the Yankees. Do I think Cashman whispered it? I don't know. Was it Randy Levine? More likely, because they wanted to you know, say, oh, look at Jeter. He's aging. He can't hit. And he's greedy. And he wants all this money. They leaked it for PR purposes. And I think it, it was a backlash for them. Because the fans, you know, like, you know, the New York Post runs a thing on the back page of Jeter in a Red Sox jersey, in a Red Sox uniform. I mean, the notion of Jeter playing in a, for another team in another uniform, it, it just would have been anathema. And I think if they leaked it for some perceived PR benefit, it definitely backfired on them because I, I think there was more blowback about the notion of Jeter playing elsewhere than there was like, oh, Jeter's greedy. Because like a guy like me, I get it. And again, it's not my money, but Jeter deserved the money as a lifetime achievement award, if nothing else. Like, just give him the money for the love of God. You're at that point, you're, you know, it's it's chump change and you'll make it back. So I that never got me. the sense he was gonna leave, though. Did you, Jacko? Like, even when it got nasty and it got ugly, I'm like, they're gonna work it out. It's Jeter and the Yankees. He's not going not out. really in my heart of hearts, but you just don't you don't want to leave it out there and, and have bad blood. And it's clear it left bad blood because he still says he doesn't. He's like, I don't want to, you know, deal with Cashman. I don't want to talk with him. And then, you know, when it, there are negotiations and Cashman, he says to, Cash, you know, the, either Jeter or the agent says, well, who would you rather have? And he says, Hanley Ramirez and allegedly Troy Tulowitzki in his prime, which was a long rumored thing of, you know, his fascination, Cashman's fascination with Tulowitzki. But, you know, when you say that to Jeter and Jeter can be a little prickly, you know, he also, you know, th there's bad blood going back to his first arbitration. And there's bad blood saying you need a new trainer to work on your first step and your flexibility. And then you say, I'd rather have Hanley Ramirez. I mean, I understand it's a business and it's negotiation, but, you know, the guy's like the he's the face of the freaking franchise, for God's sake. You know, he's the he's your, you know, mantle of, of his era. Right. He's the he's the face of the freaking dynasty from the 90s. And you're going to treat him like he's just the run of the mill player. I mean, I don't know. That, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I, I you know. I'm not the biggest fan of Hal and Cashman anyway. I was going to so say, I, I didn't expect you to be the waving way, so. the Hal and Cashman pom-poms. I did, no. definitely did not expect that to be the case. All right. <laughs> 2011, Jeter is off to a rocky start first couple of months. He's going for the 3,000th hit. And everyone around the Yankees, Girardi mentioned it in the documentary. Other people have mentioned it, his friends, his family. He was pressing. And he wanted yep. to get the 3,000th hit at home and was limping into it. They were staring a road trip in the face. He's two away. It's a Saturday afternoon against the Rays. And in typical Derek Jeter fashion, he gets his 3,000th hit, a bomb of a home run. Not a bleeder single, not a Jeterian single. No, a bleacher nope. bomb off yep. of a brand-name pitcher at the time in David Price. Goes yep. five for freaking five. Hits the go-ahead single, and the Yankees win the game. It, it, it's like another example, Jackal, of even when a guy is going bad and even when a guy is pressing, the stars align for this guy. So he's getting his 3,000 hit. It's going to be at Yankee Stadium, and it's going to be in the grandest fashion imaginable. Absolutely. I mean, the, the guy's you're kissed by the gods or whatever. I mean, he, it, everything comes up for him. It's, you know, storybook, everything from the drafted, plays for the Yankees, the whole nine yards, big moments, home runs in World Series, and then, you, you know, the 3,000 hits, and they're about to go on a road trip. 
He wants to do it at home before the fans, which would be the magical fairy tale moment. You know, he needs two more hits. And what does he do? He goes five for five. And what does he do for his 3,000th? Hits one out of the ballpark. I mean, you literally you literally can't make it up. If you wrote this in a script, a Hollywood producer would be like, it's, this is bullshit. This couldn't happen. And we need to be more realistic, you know? But it did. It did happen. It was real life. I mean, I... I, I don't know, whatever rabbit's foot or whatever luck or whatever preparation or, you know, whatever he has, the, the fates have certainly aligned for him. And it's one more one more big moment in, in, in a career, a life of big moments. It's amazing. He turns that season around, plays great the second half, and then 2012 happens, and Jeter's got an axe to grind. He's got an axe to grind with the front office. He's got an axe to grind for people who think he's washed up and that he's done and that he can't play anymore. And Jacko, even though he wasn't the player maybe he was in 06 or 2009, no shortstop in 2012 had more hits than Derek Jeter. I mean, he's a hit machine. Uh, He's spraying the ball over the place. He's having a fantastic season. The Yankees are in a dogfight pennant race. I remember with Buck Showalter's Baltimore Orioles where they're scratching and clawing trying to win the AL East. And there's a game up in Boston. And I didn't even remember this at the time. Jeter gets hurt running down the first baseline. And Jeter, you you had to basically stab him. You had to shoot him, basically, to get him out of the lineup. He was going to play. And there's no doubt, Jacko, that Jeter trying to will the Yankees to that division, playing when in reality he probably should have taken a week or two off, there's no doubt it had collateral damage to what happened a couple weeks later in the ALCS. No question. And sometimes maybe you can be a little too much of a hero, but I get it. He's, you know, he mentioned a couple different times in a couple different episodes where you only have a limited window for your career. So he was going to maximize it. He was going to play as much as he could. And the team was better with him in the lineup than with him not in the lineup, even in 2012 in the later years of his career. So, you you know, you're a gamer and you got to you got to go in there and do it. But maybe a day or two here or there wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, you know, to, so look more long term. But that's not in his nature to look long-term. You can tell it, he wants to win every game and he wants to win every game by a hundred and give full maximum effort at all times. So he's just not going to think that way of like, yeah, my ankle's biting at me a little bit, but I'm not going to sit it out. I'm going to play because that's what gamers do. And that's what champions do. And that's what he did. So yeah, hindsight being 2020, is it better if he maybe takes a week off there and, and heals it fully? Probably. But that's what happens when you, you know, you, the good and the bad of that, of being, a, you know, with having all that fire is sometimes it's going to burn you. You're going to get bitten by it, you know? That's not Derek Jeter. And I was at the game against Detroit in 2012 when he snapped his ankle. Oh. That was one of the more eerie, creepy, disturbing scenes you're ever going to see at a baseball game. Like, Jacko, you knew with that guy. Like, yep. he didn't get up. Like, and... I heard the the television call. I think they played it, or I, I I've heard it in the past. To Ron Darling, like it's Jeter. He's gonna get up. He's fine. Like, and then you realize, oh no, he's he's not fine. Uh, and when he's getting carried off the field by Girardi and the head trainer, you're like, his career could be over. This playoff series is over. Like, in, in many ways, that like mini run that the Yankees had from like 2009, it ended. The minute Derek Jeter snapped that ankle against the Detroit Tigers, definitely, yeah, that was the end of the of the mini run there, and and the end of that, you know, that that iteration of the team because, yeah, they just couldn't recover from that. 2013 was basically a, a lost year, right, for him. So, 
you know, just never put it together and never had another run in them like they did there. And just, you know, when you lose a guy like that to an injury as severe as that, it's going to take a toll. And I mean, you know, CC talks about how quiet the, uh, the, the stadium was like, it was like you said, eerily quiet. And they said like, it was so quiet. It was loud. And then, you know, Girardi, I think it was talked about how the clubhouse you know, the air was just let out of the room. And oh, it's they like, had no chance, Jacko. No I remember chance. I, I left that stadium that night. I said, they are so dead in this series. Like, That's I it. remember they played the next day. It was like an afternoon game. Now, they didn't hit, and they didn't hit much at the end of the month of September anyway that right. year. But I was like, once they take Cheater out, they're dead. They're not winning anything, man. No way. Right. He's the heart. I mean, UCC was a big leader in the team and everything, but Jeter, you know, was the lifeblood of that team. And when he's gone, that's, that's all she wrote. Then you get to 13, and... It's like a lost year for Derek Jeter. He has setbacks. He tries to come back. I remember he came back. He hit a home run his first at bat. I'm like, all right, here we go. Classic Jeter. And then he ended up right back on the injured list. He couldn't move. And I I thought his wife was amazing in this documentary because she was just basically like, I couldn't stand the guy in 2013. He was miserable. He's trying to come back. The uber competitive spirit is coming out of him. But I think, Jacko, in many ways, that was like the first realization for Derek Jeter. That 2013 season being a total wash where it's like, you can't do this anymore, man. You just can't. The end is near. Yeah, that's that's the hardest realization for athletes, right? Because you're always like, I can do it. And he, he especially has mentioned numerous times, like, don't tell me no, because that's what fuels me. So if it's like, if your body's telling you no, it's some way it's probably fueling you. But I think you just know, like, and the, the amazing thing to me that I'd never... I mean, I knew I knew Posada left in bad circumstances. He was basically shown the door. I know Bernie Williams left in, in bad circumstances where Bernie was basically shoved out the door and the Yankees are bloodless about this. Like when your time is done, they're like, you're done. Like there's no no sentiment or heartstrings. It's like you're done. It's over. So Jeter was very cognizant of that. I didn't, which I didn't realize like how cognizant he was that like they would show me the door too. And he was gonna go out on his own his own circumstances, you know, on his own call by his own call. So that Check was, out, how about him telling Susan? He said yeah. to Susan a long time ago, I'm going to be the first one to tell you when I'm going to retire. And Susan's out Did with it. the dog. She's like, Hey, I missed the call. How right. didn't even realize it was Jeter after the right. fact. Like that's pretty wild, man. And the whole thing was wild that he calls Susan Waldman and she's not home and he leaves a message. It was funny. She's like, I probably should have saved that message because that's a piece of history. And then it's funny that he calls Hal Steinbrenner, who who doesn't know how to program names into the phone at the time and doesn't realize till the next day because he got busy with something else that Jeter had called to say, I'm retiring. (laughs) It's pretty crazy when you think about it. And that 2014 season, and this is where the doc basically leaves off. It's the Jeter farewell tour. And I got to be honest, Jacko, I hated everything about that year because you know what? It it felt like you were watching this guy who you saw your entire life. He's an icon. He said that that was the thing with Jeter. Like even when he would have blips, he would bounce back. He bounced back in 11. He bounced back in 2012. I'm like, all right, his last year, he's got to go out with a bang, right? Like the final year has got to be great. Playoffs. He's got to hit the whole, the whole spiel. Series, the whole nine, right? He looked awful. And he looked like a guy who was every bit his age. He couldn't move. He'd have a good week. You know, he convinced Girardi to stay in that top of the order. And I, for one, have no issue with Derek Jeter that not asking. The idea that Derek Jeter should go tell the Yankees, hey, bat me seventh or eighth in the order. What kind of loser attitude is that? Good for him on that one. 
That's ridiculous. That's on the Yankees. Absolutely. Now, listen, Jacko, the Yankees should have said, hey, guess what? You're not hit one or two. The problem was that team stunk. They didn't have many better options. Right. They're looking to sell tickets, and he was a marketing thing. And so it's like, we're not going anywhere anyway. What difference does it make? And yeah, it's not Jeter's job. He's not the manager of the team to say, hey, you know, you should put me down seventh or eighth. And that's something that losers say. That's not Jeter's mentality. Nothing even close to that. He's never going to do anything like that. And the mere suggestion that that was like a thought is ridiculous to me. Absolutely ridiculous. I loved his response to that about how pissed off he got. You know, Buster only suggestion that he should have gone in and said, oh, put me seventh, eighth or ninth. You know, he's not the manager. He's not the he's not the general manager. He's not the owner. If they want to make those changes, they should come to him. And, you know, he maybe he'd be well, he wouldn't be receptive to it, but he'd be like, hey, you run the team. That's where you want to hit me. Hit me. But. To have the notion that he was supposed to volunteer that is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Fun one. You got 2009. Uh, the 3,000 hit stuff was a ton of fun. Didn't Great. like reliving that 2012 injury. I mean, that was ugly, ugly stuff. Um, Terrible. If we're looking for an MVP of the episode, my choice, Hannah Davis Jeter. Me too. We she were was so awesome. in league on these MVPs. Wasn't she's she great. awesome in this documentary? My God, I fell in love with her on this episode. Like uh, the personality and the fact that she was like, from the moment she met him, she wanted him to know that she was single and she could like feel it and like has her, you know, he's chatting up her mother and the mother says, you know, it's so hard for her to be single in the city and she's cringing and not a baseball fan, had no idea allegedly that he wasn't not a baseball player. about 2009? I mean, that's right. pretty wild. If you're living in and New she's York, like, I was like, in you don't New know York. who Derek is? How do you miss the parade float or not? You know, don't see it on the New York Post or anything. Yeah, she was definitely the MVP. I, I really liked her a lot. Yeah, I liked her a lot. Favorite moment for me, it's got to be those 2009 clips throughout the season, right? Like, I, I, I'm going with that. I'm going with that over anything that I saw with 3000 or anything that I saw, mm -hmm. you know, after the only one that might come close is the Susan story. That's the only one that might come close, but. It's got to be any of those montages during 2009. I like the 2009 stuff, but for me, it's the 3,000th hit. I was watching that game, and I, I just remember that. And I just just an, such an incredible moment, a three, the 3,000th hit, and to do it with a home run, Michael Kay's call, everything about it, like the stadium rocking, a beautiful sunny day. I'm, I'm going to go the 3,000th hit. That was my favorite moment. I still I got a little misty when it happened, and I got a little misty again this time. Wow, look at you, Mr. Tearjerker. I'm old. I'm old and very sensitive these days. I mean, even Bob Costas is crying these days. So if you and Absolutely. Bob Costas are crying, forget about it. Then the world's it. You know the Over. world's coming to an end soon. Uh, I'll defer to you first on the uh, the Corleone. Um, I think the Corleone was when he he was so dismissive of Buster Olney's thoughts that we just talked about that he should go in and drop himself down in the lineup because it was just like no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. That he was so dismissive. But I mean, another one is that he just still refuses to acknowledge Brian Cashman's existence just because he's so pissed off about that. I mean, that's that's Michael Corleone in a nutshell. So either one of those would be my choice. Um, I'm with you on the Cashman one. This is why Cash and I don't speak anymore. Him dropping that in, I right. thought was fantastic. The other one I liked is when CeCe was struggling in game one against the Twins. Yeah. And maybe this is a Corleone, like, hey, like, I got my troops in order. I got my guys in order. Uh, CC maybe he's a little antsy. It's his first playoff game as a Yankee. And he's like, I got, I got this. I got yeah, this. Yeah, that was great. I mean, I, that's I, another favorite. Maybe. Another moment I liked is CC. I love CC too. So 
when CC's like, we're going great in 2009, and he goes, fuck, we're going to win the World Series, like, early on in the season. That was, I like that, too, because I like CC. That was great. Jacko, there's one to go. Uh, we have almost completed the chapter of the uh, the Yankee fan porn and the Derek Jeter love fest. So uh, we, we get to relive Derek Jeter's final game at Yankee Stadium, which, oh, by the way, I was in attendance for. Nice. I was at his final... I was at his final opening day in 2014, which was freezing cold. But I was, I was at that, that game so as cold. well. I, I hey, still think I'm go. shivering thinking about it, to be honest. It's freezing cold. Yes, that was a good one, though. That was cool. Chanting his name as he ran out to short. That was cool. Jacko, good job, buddy. One to go. Good times. One more. Pleasurable See job by Jacko. Stefan, absolutely outstanding work from Las Vegas. A man of many talents. We're back with the finale next week of The Captain. Be good, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.